While we are all still confined to our own backyards, we still have stories to tell. This is Backyard Stories, the Inside Edition. It began as these stories usually do, with an invitation. I was at home when I got the call, slaving over mushroom ragu. It bubbled sluggishly in its scalding iron prison, the colour of clotted blood. My phone screen lit up. The harsh glow broke my trance-like concentration. His name shone through my cracked iPhone screen. A single word projected through shattered glass. Jesse was calling. He'd hatched a plan for the weekend, trick the unsuspecting Claudia into inviting us to her house in Phillip Island, make her think it was all her idea. It sounded so simple, so foolproof. Had I known what was to transpire, would I have agreed to such subterfuge? He has a way with words. He draws you in, makes you think everything will work out if you just let him take the lead. I walked into his carefully laid trap as blindly as someone who had mistaken a vial of hydrochloric acid for their prescription eye drops. These were uncertain times. The rules around people gathering together, being subject to changing overnight. But we had been granted an opportunity on this weekend of June for one night together at Claudia's family home in Phillip Island. I had been working in Bairnsdale and hadn't seen my friends for weeks. Who knew when we would next be able to be together? And all the while, as I drove along the coastline, I was thinking about how to make this weekend count. How could we make it last so that if we ever found ourselves apart again, we could return to the memories of our time on the island and feel as though we were back in each other's presence. We would swim, play card games, drink tea. That was a given. But what we needed was a spectacle. As I drove over the bridge and onto the island, it occurred to me. If I knew these two people, and I truly hoped that I did, because if not them, then who? I knew that there was one thing that they loved more than anything else, the one highway to their hearts, and that was eating. If there's one thing Miles and I love, it's food. Most of our time together revolves around what we're going to eat next, where we'll eat it, and who will want to hear about it. So as we drove to meet Jesse in Phillip Island for the weekend, we talked anxiously about the meal to come. Jesse had called me the night before when he got to the house and excitedly told me his grand plan for our arrival the following afternoon. Okay, so I'm going to have a big spread of snacks out when you first get here and then I'll cook you both a huge dinner. Don't bring anything. I've already got all the ingredients, so I'll start cooking just before you get here. It's going to be great. Now, Miles and I have both eaten many Jesse Lochnan dinners before. A wide variety of strange, seemingly made-up recipes using way too many ingredients and taking way too long to cook, so there was an uneasy feeling in the air. I've known Jesse for a long time, and I know how much he loves to impress his friends, but he'd been away for a while. Maybe he's been practising his cooking skills. Perhaps this time would be different. Claudia and I were in the car. The speakers on the front dashboard pulsed as if alive. A faint sizzle could be heard behind the thumping bass line. My Bose Soundlink Mini 2 had never been the same since that one time Jessie left it in the rain. 
Even in his absence, evidence of his destructive force ebbed and flowed in that insidious crackle behind Lady Gargar's chromatica. My biggest enemy is me, her voice droned. Popper 911. I was walking down the Mexican aisle at Coles, wondering if it would be overkill to have burritos again. My mind was bursting with visions of medieval feasts, but I couldn't perceive what the dishes were that were on the table. Suddenly, I remembered a meal of rice-stuffed capsicums I had once made, which I vaguely thought had been a hit. I grabbed the ingredients, but looking to my card, it still wasn't enough. As I was halfway down the aisle, scrolling on my phone in search of inspiration, I was struck by a paragraph on the food blog of a Palestinian home cook. The only falafels worth eating, she said, are the ones made from scratch with raw chickpeas. As I grabbed the ingredients, my basket was coming to life with flavours and colours. Spicy reds, zesty greens, stodgy yellows. Yes, this would do. I stepped out of the supermarket with a clear vision of what I was going to cook. I checked my phone and somehow, despite my calculations, it was much later than I had planned. Claude and Miles would be arriving soon. I had to get cooking. I laid out some snacks in anticipation of their arrival. Just something simple and refined to tide them over until the main course was ready. We arrived at 4pm to our entree. Hummus with jalapenos on it. We opened up the corn chips we'd brought with us much to Jesse's dismay. I don't want you guys to be full for dinner. You'd think if he was worried about us being full for dinner, surely we'd be eating in the next couple of hours. Claudia and I marvelled at this display. Hors d'oeuvres? An amused bouche? Surely this was a sign of sophistication and care. Surely this meant great things were to come. What fools we were. No, this offering was the block of cheese in the mousetrap, enticing us in before the torture began. But Jesse had made one miscalculation. This mouse would not fall for his cheesy trap, because this mouse was a vegan. By now the sun was beginning to set and the evening's great feast was on our minds. Jesse had had the foresight to soak some chickpeas for falafels. Unfortunately, that foresight did not extend to the cooking of the chickpeas, nor ensuring that there was a deep fryer available for the actual cooking of said falafels. Instead, the firm chickpeas were blended to a grainy paste and the Nancurvis pancake maker wrenched from the dusty pan graveyard beneath the sink to serve as a makeshift deep fryer. At this point, things were going pretty well in the kitchen. My chickpeas were soaking, the lentils bubbling and absorbing flavour, and, like every good chef knows, I had done my veggie prep first. I might have spent a bit long on the veggie prep, because when I looked outside, it was already quickly turning to dusk by the time I was ready to stuff my capsicums. Everything cooked from scratch. I felt like I was in direct communication with the source of the meal, the ingredient, and the land. Someone, I forget who, suggested that I might want to cook the rice before stuffing the capsicums, to which I responded by telling them that this was an Ottolenghi recipe. Did they think themselves a superior cook to Ottolenghi? They quickly left the kitchen and went back to their book. I filled the capsicums to the brim and they went into the oven. I turned my attention to making the falafels. I drained the chickpeas and was ready to blend, but to my horror discovered 
that there wasn't a blender. Undefeated, I decided to mush them up with a fork, which was hard work and time consuming. The chickpeas were far from the fluffy paste that I'd seen on the food blog. I made the call that I couldn't get it all done and I abandoned the task. There were still some chunky bits left over, but as Miles had once taught me, texture was one of the essential elements to a meal. Chunky falafels. It actually sounded pretty good. We asked Jesse if he needed help cooking, to which he answered no, so he walked to the lookout for the last of the day's light. I thought because Jesse followed us, everything must have been moving along smoothly. But as we watched the sunset over the horizon, he turned to us and said, all right, we should head home because the falafels haven't been cooked. Miles and I wanted to stay and walk along the beach, but Jesse wasn't having a bar of it. I don't really want to be cooking for like three hours while you guys are just chilling. So we headed back. It all went downhill from there. My vision of our weekend together, time trapped in the glass dome of memory, youth, I felt it all slipping away from me. But I knew that it was still possible to reclaim it with the power of a meal, carefully planned and executed. And that was what I was going to do. I had said something along the lines of this to Claude and Miles on the beach. And so understanding what was at stake, they came to my aid in the kitchen. Pre-cook the rice, we begged of him. He did not. Hours passed. Claudia and I paced, our palms sweaty, cold. Time seemed to stand still and then lurch forward. Our digestive tracts were empty, guts scooped out like the vegetables we were promised as dinner. Mission tortilla chips bogged down by Yumi's hummus and Woolworth's jarred jalapenos formed an acrid bolus and plugged my esophagus. My eyes blurred, rolled and refocused on the image of him slopping spoon after spoon of crunchy rice mush into headless nightshade. My Bose speakers fizzed and crackled. Mother Monster's words rang in my ears like a pagan chorus. Pop a 911, pop a 911, pop a 911. It was down to the line. A race against the clock. This race is one that I've been running my entire life and losing, but tonight would be different. I began to improvise to save time. I was practically bucketing liquid onto the capsicums. They were swimming in a pool of flavour. We watched in horror as Jesse boiled pine nuts and tore up little bits of pita bread to sprinkle over the capsicums to give them crunch. Little did he know there would be no need for any more crunch. I took a step back and looked at the discarded bowls and empty packages. There was nothing left to do. It was done. Our dinner was ready. We sat down to eat at 10pm. It was quite a heavy meal. Very filling and fibrous. My only criticism was that I might have gone a little overboard with the textural elements. As we ate, I watched Claude and Miles out of the corner of my eyes for reactions. Later, Jesse told me he thought I was being really polite by eating the meal, but in all honesty, I was just starving and there was no other food in the house. Miles wasn't as kind. None of us finished our plates. Not even Robert Zemeckis' chef d'oeuvre, Back to the Future, could save this fateful night. When Doc was gunned down by a miscellaneous terrorist, we did not jump. When Marty McFly risked seducing his own mother, we felt nothing. When Biff did something or other, to be honest, I don't actually really remember what happens in this film, but anyway, nothing was said. All we knew was the feeling of impending doom as the parched grains trapped within our pylora swelled with gastric secretions. The raw chickpeas disintegrated into indigestible saccharides which chafed our jejunal epithelium. 
The sharp stabs in our abdomen were accompanied by the audible gurgles and groans of peristalsis, an alien voice which asked the question none of us were brave enough to ask. What would tomorrow bring? To tell the truth, I don't remember much of what happened for the rest of the night because, as I relaxed into the couch, I was suddenly hit with a wave of profound fatigue, the sort of satisfied fatigue that follows intense effort. When the film was over, I tried to get up from the couch, but I couldn't. I was being weighed down by my intestines. It was as if someone had lined my gut with stones. I felt myself falling deeper into the couch, slipping away as I tried to reach for one more falafel. Towards the end of the movie, I limped to the kitchen to make a hot water bottle in the hopes of easing the excruciating pain that was coming from my stomach. The boys passed out on the couches. I couldn't face waking them to go to bed. I tossed and turned throughout the night in agony. Some hours later, I awoke. At first, I thought I was alone in the lounge room, but no, Jessie was asleep on the couch too. I collected my blanket and headed to bed. As I turned my head back, a thought passed me by. Jessie's neck was cocked in a way that was surely going to be painful in the morning. I should wake him up. No, I whispered into the void. Let him pay. I don't remember falling asleep, but when I woke, I was still on the couch and it was light outside. So I crept to my room and had a few more hours before the drive home. We said goodbye in the driveway. Claudia and Miles looked like they'd had a rough night. Luckily, there was enough capsicums left over for lunches for the entire week. On the drive home along the coast, the wind had picked up and the waves had become messy. I went for a quick dip. The water was beginning to turn, the winter cold creeping in from the south. But in my gut, I felt a deep warmth that stayed with me all the way back to my apartment in Bairnsdale. It was the warmth of their presence. It had been nice to see my friends.